Open your Bibles this morning to the 13th chapter of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13. You know, um, sometimes God will lead me to a series of messages like the first of the year I preached on the promises of God. And I knew usually two or three weeks ahead what promise I was going to preach on. But most of the time, 90% of the time, I, I don't ever know what I'm going to preach on the next Sunday. Sometimes I find out on Thursday and sometimes Friday. And then by Saturday, I'm crying out, God, help me quick at Sunday's coming. You know what I mean? But, you know, it's, I love that because I'm totally dependent on God as to what I would bring at any given uh, Sunday that I come in this pulpit. <clears throat> I'll tell you in a moment where, when God spoke this word to me that I'm supposed to share with you this morning. But the truth is, I did, uh, did not know anything about the songs we were going to sing, anything about the special. But Ed always sends me the order of worship uh, on email. And I'm telling you, uh, every song we sang, the special, a ple- a, uh, the special the choir sang, is exactly what should have been sung for this message today. But they knew nothing about it, and Ed didn't. It's just amazing how God puts things together. You say it was a coincidence, and I say you're backslidden is what I'm saying. (laughs) I don't believe in coincidences. I believe in being led by the Holy Spirit, and I believe God puts things together so the only explanation can be God himself. You know, um, the need is great, and the hour is late. Now, just think about those words. The need is great, and the hour is late. I believe the majority of us in this room would agree wholeheartedly that we need, we desperately need, a mighty movement of God in our personal lives, in our family, in the body of Christ, and in our nation. I am telling you, we need for God to move in our midst. You need him to move in your life in a new and powerful way. We need for him to move in our families in a new and powerful way. We need for him to move in our church and in, the, in this nation. There is a great need for a mighty movement of the Spirit of God. Seems like every day it gets a little, little darker. You know, we see the chaos and confusion that's in Washington in our government right now. We see the family under great attack. We think of the millions of homes where there's no father figure, no male influence in that home. And it's overwhelming as we think all the needs that are around us. But I'm telling you, we just need a mighty movement of God. That's what it is. We need for God to come in his power and his glory, in your life personally, in your marriage, in your family, in our church, and in this nation. Isaiah 64 is exactly right. It is exactly right. Oh, Lord, that you would tear open the heavens and that you would come down and that the mountains would shake at your presence. Man, we need for God to come and move in our lives and in our midst. You know, I believe God's willing. I believe God wants to move mightily. I believe God wants to do a mighty work in your life and in your family and in your marriage and in this church and in this nation. I don't believe there's any 
reluctance on God's part. But now the question is, what's the problem? Why isn't God moving the way he needs to move? I mean, really, I'm, I'm, I'm seriously asking you this question. Why doesn't God just tear open the heavens and come down and make a radical change in your life and help you to overcome those things that are holding you? And, and why doesn't God come down and do a radical thing in your marriage or in your family or in this church or in this nation? I mean, I want to ask you the question, what's the problem? It's not on God's part. Well, sitting at the 714 conference on Thursday night, and God was there. It was a good conference. God spoke. Some wonderful prayers. Some wonderful things happened. I was sitting there, and God told me the answer to the problem. It's just as clear as God could speak to my heart. And you know what he said? He said, I would do mighty things among you, but I can't because of your unbelief. That it's unbelief on the part of individual Christians. and the, It's unbelief that is tying the hands of God and keeping God from doing what needs to be greatly done in your life and mine and in the church. You see, and immediately I went to that scripture in Matthew chapter 13. Now look at it. Jesus went to his hometown If anybody should have received him and believed in him, it should have been them. Because they knew he grew up in the carpenter shop there in Nazareth. And they knew uh, all that had happened with him and the miracles that he'd done. And baptism by John the Baptist. And the blind were seeing and the lame were walking. And and, and Jesus, the fame of Jesus, his, his power was known well by the people in his hometown. But you know, look at verse 54. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom? He's Joseph and Mary's son. We watched him grow up uh, and he went to the rabbi school right here in our town. Where did he get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? His brothers, James, Joseph, and Simon and Judas and his sisters, were they not all with us? Where did this man get all these things? Now get this. So they were offended at him. Offended? Because he had the wisdom of God and he was the Messiah who had come into the world. They were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now here's the verse. And this could be true of your life. It could be true of your marriage. It could be true of your family. It could be true of this church. It could be, I know it's true of our nation. Here's what it is. I want you to listen. Now, he did not do many mighty works there. Well, why? Because of their unbelief. There were a lot of things Jesus would have done in Nazareth, but he didn't do them. Because his blessings were blocked by their unbelief. Mark gives another picture of it. Same story. In chapter 6, listen to what it says about Jesus in his hometown. Verse 5 of Mark 6. Now he could do no mighty work there. He could do no mighty work there. Except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. 
believe. I'm going to tell you, I honestly believe that if individual believers, you as a child of God, and if the church corporately can get to the place where we live by faith and we believe God for the impossible, and we pray and we believe and we fully expect God to do what we ask Him to do, I mean, if we can get beyond our unbelief and remember that God is the same God that parted the Red Sea and led Israel through on dry ground. He's the same God who allowed David to slay Goliath. He is the same God over and over again who has worked miracles. And I want to tell you, we've got to get back to we believe in not what God can't do, but in what God can do in our lives and in our midst. We cannot let unbelief Tie the hands of the living God and keep him from doing mighty works in our lives, in our families, in our church, and in our nation. The Bible says that unbelief is an evil thing. I read from the book of Hebrews, and it's just a warning, and I pray this almost every morning. It says in Hebrews 3.12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Man, God says, don't, don't let unbelief cause you not to believe God and not to trust God and not to listen. Don't let there be in you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And then he makes reference to the fact that Israel had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because they didn't believe God. He says in verse 19, so they do not enter in because of their unbelief. This morning I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about the importance of faith. But then I want to talk about the enemies of faith. There are certain enemies that cause you and I to live in unbelief. I I mean, I know they're real enemies. Because I'm telling you, you say, well, it's so easy to believe. Oh, no, it isn't. I mean, there's a battle. And if we're going to believe God and we're going to walk by faith and not by feeling, and if we're going to trust God in spite of what the circumstances are, then I'm telling you there's a battle, a battle to believe. And there are enemies of our faith that would keep us and cause us to live, even as a child of God, in unbelief. I want you to think a moment about the importance of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's the roll call of faith. It talks about Abel and how he believed God. It talks about Enoch and how he walked with God. And God, by faith, he walked with God. And then you come to that great verse. Perhaps we should circle it. Perhaps we should put it on the same level as John 3.16 or other verses. But this is the verse. Now, you've got to listen to it. He's talking about the roll call of faith. And he goes on and talks about Abraham and Moses and on and on. And this is what it says. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That is not hard to figure out. In other words, if I'm going to please God, I've got to believe him. I've got to trust him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those that come to him must believe that he is. You are God and I believe you. Those that come to him must believe that he is God. And listen to this, that he rewards those. Yes, he answers. 
He rewards those who diligently, not casually, but diligently seek Him. Without faith, we cannot please God and we will not see the move of God. God will not do mighty things because of our unbelief. It's like the Lord said to me, it's not what I have done, but what I could have done if you would just believe God. And that, 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 that we may look back one day when we get to heaven, God just give us a little glimpse back down the, uh, in history, and, and we come to the realization, man, God did some awesome things. He did some awesome things. But you know, it's not just what he could have done. It's not just what he did but it's what he could have done if we just believed God. If we'd have just trusted him. If we'd not allowed unbelief to cause us to doubt the omnipotent power of a holy God. Faith is important. We need to understand the importance of faith. Jesus gave us two or three incidences about how important faith is. First of all, Jesus talked about <clears throat> How important personal faith is. Now I'm talking about your faith. About your faith. Your faith in God. Your belief in God for that which seems to be impossible in your life. He talked about the importance of personal faith. And, and, and the scripture that I was drawn to was the one in the book of uh, Matthew about the woman who had the issue of blood. You don't need to turn. I'm just going to tell this story. You know it so well. In Matthew chapter 9, there was a lady who had been uh, sick for 12 years, had suffered many hands, it says, at the hands of the physicians and was no better. She was out of resources. <clears throat> so she pressed through the crowd of people saying, and now listen, th th this is faith, folks. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, that's all it'll take. I believe that Jesus will heal me. So she pressed through the crowd Obviously, fell down and maybe she grabbed the hem of the garment of Jesus. And Jesus stopped and he said, daughter, daughter, be of good cheer. Now listen to what he said to her. Your faith has made you whole. You believed me. You trusted me. You let, did not let circumstances keep you from getting to me. And I want you to know. You go on your way well because your faith has made you whole. That's personal faith. And you touch out, you reach out and have more than the hem of his garment. You have the presence of Jesus Christ in your life if you're a child of God. And man, you can throw yourself upon him and say, Lord Jesus, you are the one that I'm believing and trusting in this matter, whatever it might be. But I'm going to tell you something, Jesus also Talk about the importance of corporate faith or the faith of others. And what he did in, in, in the gospel over in uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, and it was found in the other gospels, he told this story, not just personal faith, this woman pressed through and touched Jesus and her faith was rewarded. But then Jesus told the story of how the faith of others is, is important. There was a man who was a paralytic and he was totally bedridden. So four of his friends, four of his friends went and got this man 
on the stretcher. And this was their faith. If we can get this man to Jesus and Jesus touches him, he will heal him and he will walk. Well, I guarantee you, don't you know, they picked him up on that stretcher and they were on the way to Jesus. And every step of the way, the devil says, you're a fool. Jesus can't do that. And they tried everything he could to discourage them. But, you know, the Bible says when they got that man to Jesus. Now, I want you to listen to what he said. The Bible said that when Jesus saw them, he, he said, when he saw their faith. Whose faith? The four people who carried him to Jesus. The four people who picked up the, the man on the stretcher. He saw the corporate faith of four people who had faith together to believe that with God all things are possible. And Jesus honored the faith of those four people and said to them, Hey, sir, your sins are forgiven. Jesus knew that was his greatest need. And then, of course, he touched him and healed him. Hey, you know, there's something when we join our faith with other people, not just our personal faith and cry out to God, but man, when we join our faith together as individuals and we become a group of people that are believing God, I mean a group of people that are united in our faith, that are unwavering in the fact that our God is a mighty God and he is awesome and everything he's ever did, he can still do. I'm telling you, there's power in corporate faith when together we believe God and when Jesus saw their faith. He said to the man, your sins are forgiven. But you know, there, there's another thing that Jesus talked about. And this is where I believe we're really coming up short. He commended a woman's personal faith. He praised the corporate faith of individuals who would believe God and not be full of unbelief. But then he talked about persistent faith. Faith that did not faint and faith that did not give up. Oh, this is where the struggle is, y'all. Because so, so, so we pray, and we ask, and we believe. But nothing seems to be happening. With our eyes, there are things that we seem not be able to see. So what do we do? Jesus told us exactly what we ought to do. And in Luke chapter 18, the very familiar story about the widow lady who had been unjustly treated. And so she went through the court system. And she went to this judge and said, Judge, you need to take care of this matter. It was not handled right, and justice needs to be given to me. Now, you, you deal with this, and you take care of it. The judge ignored her. He ignored her. So she goes back again, and he ignores her again. Finally, every time the phone rang, it was that woman calling the judge. You understand? Every time he walked out of his office, she was standing there and said, When are you going to take care of that issue? And then Jesus said, you know, this was an unjust judge. He was a wicked man. But, you know, he decided either I am going to deal with this woman's request or she's going to drive me crazy. And said this unjust judge did what needed to be done for that lady. And then he gave the story. The message, this is it. Listen, if an unjust judge, because of a persistent woman, would do something, 
How much more shall a loving Heavenly Father who loves you and who always wants what's best for you and is always good and He hears and cares about His children, if an unjust judge would do that, how much more will the living God, will the living Christ listen to His children and avenge them, listen to what it says, when they cry before Him day and night, they don't quit praying, they don't give up, they don't faint. He said, how much more will the living God avenge them But then he asked one of the most sobering questions in the Bible. He said, certainly God will. But he said, but when the Son of Man comes, this is exactly what he said. Will he find faith on the earth? Is when Jesus comes back, is he going to find people whose faith doesn't faint? Whose faith doesn't give up? Whose faith perseveres, perseveres until the answer comes from the living God. Let me tell you what happens to us, y'all. We get to praying and we get to believe in God and we get to crying out for God and we don't see anything happening in the visible. And so what we do is say, well, I mean, I mean, how long am I going to have to pray and how long am I going to have to believe God and how long am I going to have to trust God? And so we just get discouraged and sometimes we just kind of let up and we say, well, you know what that is? That's nothing but unbelief. That's all it is. So Jesus talked about personal faith, the woman with the issue of blood. He talked about corporate faith, the four people who had enough faith to bring their friend to Jesus. And then he talked about persistent faith that would not quit because they believed God would answer. You know, then Jesus talked about one other kind of faith. It was faith that believed God for the impossible. I love what Manly Beasley said. Is there anything you're believing God for that unless God comes through, you're sunk? Well, no, I'm believing God to provide the food. He said, no, I'm not talking about that. You can get food. He said, is there anything you're believing God for that if God doesn't come through, you're sunk? He said, if there's not a place in your life where you're trusting God and you know that unless God comes through, you're sunk. He said, you're really not walking by faith. And the story Jesus gave is one that is very tremendously important because it's a faith that believes in that God does the impossible. It was about the father whose son had been having a seizure since he was a little child and how that um, he cried out to Jesus. And I want you to listen in Mark 9. Now, this is the faith that believes God for the impossible. Believes God for the impossible. In Mark chapter 9, he asked the father, how long, this is Mark 9, 21, how long has this been happening to him? From childhood, Jesus said to him, now listen to this, if you can believe all things are possible to him that believes. Now this is what he told that man. Oh, I know he's been having this since he was a child. I know how impossible it seems to you. But he said, I want to tell you that if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now listen to what the Father said. This is where I am when you look at the impossible. This is where we are. Immediately, the father of the child cried out with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus said, if you can believe, I'm going to tell you it's possible. He said, I'm just going to tell you where I am, Lord. Lord, I believe. Wait a minute. But help my unbelief believe you see the faith that pleases God 
personal faith, corporate faith, persevering faith, but it is the faith that believes God for the impossible, that cries out to God. I know it humanly, it, it looks impossible and seems impossible, but you said with God all things are possible. So Lord, I believe, would you help my unbelief? Now, let me move on and ask you this question. Why is unbelief such a battle? What are the enemies of our faith? What keeps us from really believing God? Now, not, 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 not just praying and not expecting God to do anything. Well, Lord, I want you to do this, but you don't expect him to do it. Lord, I, I, I know this is, and, and sometimes we just pray, and frankly, deep in our hearts, deep down, if we would be honest, it's just, nothing's going to change. It's just going to be the same. And, and we, just, we just got deep, deep inside of us an attitude of unbelief. Well, why is that? Why, why can't we just pray according to the word of God and in the name of Jesus and walk away saying, thank God he heard and thank God he's going to answer and I will trust him as long as there's breath in my body to do what he said he would do. What, why is it such a battle to believe God? And it is a battle. I'm going to give you four reasons. One. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you're going to believe God, and if you're not going to be, have unbelief in your heart, you've got to be in fellowship with God. You see, if the Holy Spirit is grieved in your life, if the Holy Spirit is quenched in your life, the Bible says, quench not the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm just telling you, if there's sin in our life, if there's sin in our life, that we have not dealt with, we have not confessed it, we have not, re- we've not repented of it, we've not received the forgiveness of God. I'm telling you, if we're not in fellowship with God, if the Holy Spirit is grieved, grieved and quenched, then we're not going to believe God. We have to be in fellowship with God. We have to be walking in obedience to God. Not perfect, but walking in obedience to God. Knowing that as far as I know, I'm right with God. Nothing is hindering my prayer and my faith. Listen, we have got to be in fellowship with God. If we're going to believe God, if we're going to have the faith that believes God for the possible and the impossible. I love that verse. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Is there anything in your life, any sin? Any unconfessed sin, any attitude, any thought, any word, any act? Is there anything that's keeping you from that fellowship with God, that intimate, close walk with God? If it is, you're going to have trouble believing God because you're not in fellowship. That's the enemy of our faith. That's the enemy of if we're not walking in, in obedience and fellowship with God. You know, the other enemy, another enemy of our faith is a lack of surrender. Now, you've you got to listen to me carefully because I, I believe that God is doing and has done everything he's ever done. I, I don't believe that. I believe he's the God of miracles. I mean, I mean so you've got to understand, I am not in any way, I, I'm just saying, God, you just be yourself. But let me just tell you something. He told us how to pray. And you know how he told us to pray? He told us to pray in an attitude of surrender. Now, I want you to listen to the Lord's Prayer. 
Right in the beginning, he said, Now this is the way I want you to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Glorify your name. And Lord, your kingdom, not my, your kingdom come. And your will be done. Before there was any other prayers, daily bread, forgiveness, he said, God, I just want to tell you. In the answer to this prayer, glorify your name. And if your name won't be glorified in the answer to this prayer, don't you answer it because I sometimes can pray amiss. So God, I am telling you, I come to you as I cry out to you in faith. Let this faith, this cry out to you, let it glorify your name. Let the answer, when you move in response to my faith, let let it glorify your name. And I tell you secondly, Lord, you let your kingdom come in my life, in my family, in everything around me. Lord, it's not about my kingdom. It's your kingdom. And so I tell you, I am, I'm coming to you in faith. Glorify your name and your kingdom come. Then there's one third thing of surrender. So you've got to pray and surrender. And that doesn't mean you don't believe God for the impossible. That doesn't believe you don't believe God for the miraculous. But it means you're just praying an absolute surrender. That your faith will bring glory to his name. And your faith, his kingdom will come. And then he said, pray this way. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Lord, honor my faith if it's your will. If you're, it means your will is going to be done. Lord, I want your will. I want your will. Now, I believe it's your will for to heal her, Lord. So I'm asking you to, your will be done. Lord, I believe it's your will for this to happen. But I, I, but I'm, I want you to know, I believe that with all my But I want you to know, I want your will. I, I mean, I'm not perfect. God, sometimes I, I don't hear clearly. Sometimes I could not understand what you're up to. But I just want you to know, in, in, in response to the faith that I have, glorify your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. It's called surrender. The enemies of our faith are, one, when we're not in fellowship with God. Or, if we want our way more than God's way, and there's a lack of surrender. There has to be surrender to his name, his kingdom, and his will for us to believe God. Here's the big one. The third enemy of our faith, which is the biggest because, you know, you've got to get in fellowship with God. Well, you won't even be praying if you don't. And you certainly have got to be surrendered to God if you're going to believe God. But let me tell you, the third one is fear. The greatest enemy of our faith is fear. And another translation for fear is worry and anxiety. I'm just telling you now, the devil is a roaring lion. His major attack is fear. Now, I'm going to show you how I saw this. You remember that uh, the disciples were crossing the sea, and Jesus came walking to them on the water. And he spoke to them, said, don't be afraid. Peter said, Lord, if that's you, if that's you, you tell me to come to you, and I'll come. Jesus said, it's me, Peter, come on. Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water. And as he walked on the water, he began to look at how high the waves were. And he began to look at how strong the wind was. You say, Brother Fred, I know Jesus was really, 
really pleased when Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water. Yes, he was. But in Matthew chapter 14, verse 28, it says here that Peter got his eyes off Jesus. It says here, so he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. Listen to what Jesus said to him. Now you'd say, well, praise God, man, he got out of the boat. Ain't none of us in here ever walked on water. Praise God. He, man, this. But you know what Jesus said to him? Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? You know why he doubted? He got afraid. He looked at the waves and he listened to the wind. I'm going to tell you about the enemy of faith. It's fear. It is absolute fear. Then Jesus told another story about his disciples. Now, these were his followers, and they were in the boat, and a storm came up. A storm came up. Now, you've got to understand that Jesus was in the boat with them. It's not that they were there by themselves. He was in the boat asleep, but the storm came up, and um, they got all bent out of shape. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, I want you to listen. In Matthew chapter 8, now when, they had got, now when he had got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and woke him, saying, Lord, we are perishing. And then listen to what Jesus said. Now, you see, the enemy of faith is fear. He said, why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? I am telling you, you start believing God. You start believing God for, uh, uh, for an area of deliverance and victory in your life. You start believing God. You start believing God for your marriage. You start believing God for a wayward child or a wayward grandchild. You start believing God for financial situations and financial circumstances. You start believing God for the healing of, of what the doctors say is an incurable disease. I'm going to tell you one thing. You start believing God about anything, and I am telling you the devil will come, and he will say, you, you're, you're crazy. He will make you afraid. Listen, you, you're never going to get set free from that. He'll put fear in your heart, and your marriage, it ain't going to get no better. It's going to get worse. And that wayward son, he ain't never coming back. I am telling you the devil is a liar, and what he does, he comes and attacks. Tax your faith with all the fear that he can muster. And we just let that fear come in. And we crumble before the fear. And God said, I, I, there was so much I wanted to do. But I couldn't do it. Because of your unbelief. And what absolutely wrecked our faith was we listened to the voice of fear. Instead of the voice of God. Folks, fear is the enemy of faith. Whatever you're believing God for this morning. And I know some of you are shipwrecked. Boy, if God don't come through, Brother Fred, I'm sunk. That's a good place to be. I guarantee you, you believe in God, but every demon of hell will bring fear against you and bring fear against you. And I'm telling you, there's so many times churches, you know why God doesn't do, ever do anything in the church? is because churches are afraid that God might do something they can't control. Well, have mercy. 
I never will forget when God was moving at Cottage Hill. You know, I never knew what was going to happen. I never knew what God was going to do. But people would say, well, aren't you afraid that so-and-so is going to happen? Aren't you afraid? No. I said, I'm not afraid because faith, fear is the opposite of faith. And I'm telling you, what you've got to get to the place is this. God, you're welcome in my life. You're welcome in my life. And you're welcome in this church any way you want to come because I can trust you and I don't have to be afraid. I can trust you, the living God. And you can. I'll tell you, I fight fears all the time. I'll be believing God for somebody, believing God for a person, believing God for a situation. And I'm telling you, the enemy will come and say, it ain't going to happen. Fear, fear. Well, what if it don't happen? Fear. I'm telling you, it is an enemy of faith. You have to deal with it. And you have to refuse it. And you have to cast it down. And you have to confess that you're believing God. And you're not going to listen to the fear that would paralyze you and Bind the hands of God who wants to do something in your life. Some of you are afraid about your children. Well, won't you believe God for them? Some of you are afraid about your marriage. Well, won't you start believing God that he's a miracle-working God? Some of you are afraid about your finances. Well, let me ask you this. Is God broke? Why are you letting that fear paralyze you? Find out God's answer and find out what God's up to and listen to God and believe God and trust God. It's like the Lord just spoke to me sitting in that Mitchell Center. There are many things I would love to do in your life. Many things I'd love to do in Luke 4.18. Many things I'd love to do in Mobile. Many things I'd love to do in this nation. But you know, I can't do many mighty works because of their unbelief. You've got to check your heart out. I've got to check mine out. I'm not trying to say you it isn't a battle. But you know, and, and there's one final thing. The enemy of our faith is this. The enemy of our faith is we've got to be in fellowship with God now. We've got to be surrendered to God. And we've got to realize that fear tries to come and discourage us and take away our faith. But then we've got to saturate ourselves with the Word of God. Brother Ed kept talking about the Bible, how it is the Word of God. Now, let me tell you something. You know what builds your faith? Experiences as good as they are. I had a wonderful experience. That is great. Thank God for it. But you'll, get, you'll forget it. What you've got to do is you have to saturate yourself with the Word of God. It's not a book you just pick up once a week. You better pick it up every day, and you better get in there and get in the Psalms and ask God to speak to you and get over in the New Testament. You go wherever God tells you to go, but you saturate yourself with the Word of God. You've got to be saturated with the Word of God. Let me tell you why. Can I tell you why? Romans ten seventeen: Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Every time I read this book, I get encouraged. Every time I read this book, I leave away with faith, my faith built and encouraged. Every time I read this book, it makes me realize that Jesus Christ is Lord and the devil's defeated and he's under the feet of the Son of God. I promise you, this book, the devil knows the power of this book. He knows what it'll do when you saturate yourself with the Word of God. He'll try every way he can to keep you out of this book. But don't you let him do that because you can't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes comes from the mouth of God. You've got to saturate yourself with the Word of God. That's an enemy of faith if you're just not saturated with the Word of God.
And you've got to just persist in prayer till the answer comes. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Don't give up. Don't faint. What if the woman with the issue of blood, after 10 years, had said, I guess I'm just going to die? Oh, no. Man, she pushed through that crowd. And I tell you what, Jesus said, daughter, your faith, don't give up. Please don't give up. Persevere in prayer. Prevail in prayer. Pray through. Know that God is hearing and don't stop. Just don't give up. Believe God. It's impossible, Brother Fred. Hallelujah. Then God's going to get great glory when God does the impossible. Well, I don't know if God does the impossible. You're full of unbelief. Is it easy to believe God? No. Is it a battle to walk in faith? Yes. Maybe God one day will say to you and to me, I'm, I'm pleased with your life. I'm pleased. But you know, Fred, Luke 4, 18, Builder, Sue, it's not what I did. But it's what I could have done if you'd have just believed me. If you'd have just trusted me. You say, you can't tie the hands of God. Well, can I tell you what it says here? And he did not many mighty works among them. He wanted to, but why didn't he? Because of their unbelief. I don't want God to say it to Luke 4, 18, fellowship. I'm pleased with a lot you did. But I'm going to tell you, Pastor, it wasn't so much what I did in you and your body, but it's what I could have done. If you had just believed me and trusted me, been unwavering in your faith, and not let fear keep you from doing what God wants you to do. I'm going to say this. You know when you're going to see God do a mighty work in that wayward daughter or that wayward son or, or, or grandchild? You know when you're going to see God do a great work? When you start thanking God for what he's going to do, stop looking at their circumstances and start believing God for the impossible in their life and start thanking God for what he's going to do, then, buddy, I'll tell you, that puts the devil on the run because you can't be afraid when you're thanking God.